Welcome to the Cathedral Library Bible Podcast. I'm Rob Steele. And I'm Jordan Duncan. And our desire with this podcast is to show you how easy and enjoyable it is to come to Scripture and walk away having heard the words of God and being changed by them. Amen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Cathedral Library Bible Podcast. This is Jordan and I back again. Today, we're going to take a look at Mark 11, verses 1 through 26, which is a pretty significant uh, portion of Scripture. I think this is going to be a good one for us, because not because we have a lot to say, but because this is a pretty massively important section that I don't have a lot to say about. When I was reading through it, there wasn't a ton of things jumping out at me at first sight. Jordan's paper is full of stuff, though, so I'm sure he's going to have a ton to say. I literally have nothing written down. <laughs> you weren't supposed to. I was trying to make you sound smart. Oh, thanks. Um, okay, so he's just so smart, it's all in his head. He didn't have to write anything down. Yeah. I got to write it down or I'll forget. Um, but why don't we just jump into the text? Does that work, Jordan? Yeah, sure. Okay, let's jump into the do. text and we'll see what comes up. Uh, so we start right away, verse 1 of chapter 11. And we see that uh, Jesus has drawn into this place. He is at the Mount of Olives, and he sends two of his disciples saying to go and to find him a colt. Now, prophetically, he obviously can see ahead that there's something going to be waiting there. Uh, It seems as if he knows there's going to be a colt tied up. Maybe that's just cultural. Maybe it's prophetic. I'm not totally sure. I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so uh, we see that, and then he tells them exactly what to do, untie it, bring it, and even what to say if somebody asks them anything. So they go, they follow along, and they do exactly what Jesus says, including telling them exactly what Jesus told them to say. So they go, they find a colt, somebody asks them what they're doing, they bring it back. The one thing that I thought was really interesting, and I'm going to get Jordan to talk about this for a bit... (laughs) is a cult in which no one else has ever sat. Why? I'm glad you asked, Rob. Uh, (laughs) uh, I don't know. What does that what does that have to do with anything, I wonder? That's that was my question. Yeah. I, I read it and went, huh. Why? I mean we can we can guess, right? There's all of this stuff. Well, he's Jesus, and he's the Son of God. He's the Son of Man. This is an important day. There's so much we could say about the potential of what that is, but it doesn't actually tell us. No, I think if I remember correctly from one of the other Gospels, it refers to this uh, event having been foretold um, through a prophet. That's true. However, Mark doesn't point that out. He just tells the story. Right. No hyperlink in Mark. Well, or that the, the hyperlink is assumed that people understand it. Right. Or, or, or get it. They're familiar enough with it. Right. That makes sense. Which would make sense because I believe that it is talking about the Messiah riding on a colt or something to that extent, the, per, the prophecy. Yeah, so Matthew has, th- Matthew says, this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, uh, the prophet being Zechariah, chapter 9, 
And Zechariah says, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Which doesn't explicitly say a colt that no one has ridden on, but um, the whole thing is is supposed to be pointing backwards to what's already been foretold and where the Jewish expectation for Messiah is has been built on a foundation from the prophets. Which is great. I, like you said, it doesn't seem to make mention of why one that no one has ever sat on, but maybe there isn't a lot there. But it did catch my attention when I was reading through it. Um, I seem to have more questions than I have answers this week. Um, the next one is when we hear about Jesus then riding the colt, um, he's riding the colt into the city, and they it says that they threw their cloak on it so that Jesus could sit down. And then many, I would assume meaning disciples or those that are following him, uh, it doesn't say specifically here, but it says, and many spread their cloaks on the ground and others spread leafy branches that it had cut from the fields. Um, then we hear them crying out before him. I just thought, this is such an interesting text when you're not studying it, you're just reading it yeah. as we did just now uh, plain. Why? Why is this all of a sudden happening like this at this time? It seems... I can spiritually answer, right? I can I can read it and go, okay, God must be making a point. There's something mm-hmm. there's something happening prophetically. There's something happening spiritually. But it's very interesting to see how just all of a sudden, all of this stuff is happening with a group of people that have been following for quite a while and have not been doing this. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So you're pointing out that all of a sudden they're they're the following the crowds following are acting differently than they have been because they're the whoever's following Jesus uh, generally is very interested in what's going on or at least is um, yeah if they're not a if they're not all in for what Jesus is doing they're very interested to see where it's going and are wanting to follow kind of on the outskirts to figure out uh, where Jesus is headed with his uh, Messiah-like actions and teachings. and But until this point, the crowds haven't done anything that amazing other than coming to Jesus, asking questions, um, bringing sick people. That's pretty much all the crowds have done. And now they start treating him very peculiarly. (laughs) There might have been one too many lures there. (laughs) Very odd. But it is, it's all of a sudden it's adoration. Yeah. Right? They're, they adore him in a way that they haven't up until this point, which is, again, just really interesting to me because it massively makes this part of the story stand out, which I think is Mark's point in writing it. He's trying to show what's happening to be special. Yeah. Um, but it, it makes me think about the people there that day and what clicked for them, what happened in that moment that brought them to this. I don't know. Well, I mean, he's coming into Jerusalem. Yeah. So if a Messiah figure who, um, I mean, the connection is that 
the Messiah figure is a David figure, if he's coming then into the city of David, where the king of Israel traditionally, well, the king of Judah, uh, David, traditionally sat and ruled from, you might have, um, I guess they're responding to him in some sort of affirmative way, saying, we see what you're doing in which direction you're wanting to go, meaning towards kingship. And you're even talking about bringing a kingdom. And now for at least the first time in Mark, I think, Jesus is going into Jerusalem and they go, okay, you're, the king is coming into Jerusalem. What should we do? And even whether they're th- thinking this is the official coronation of a king or they're just um, acting, um, I don't want to say prophetically, but in the sense of their, I guess they're just showing their support and trying to say to Jesus, we're on board with where you're going. Yeah. And I think so too. I, it, it, I don't know. There's not a lot I have to say about it. I just think it's very interesting. It really grabbed my attention reading it, reading it without any additional readings or doing studies on it, but just trying to come to the text as it says, it really jumped out this time to me, just how things seem to shift in the crowd. Jesus isn't shifting. He's being consistent, but the crowd seems to shift around him. Um, Normally we hear the disciples, predominantly the 12, doing actions that might sound a little bit like worship or adoration at times. But this, to be the crowd, is very interesting, Um, really jumped out at me. What I found interesting also is that where it's placed for Mark, that it immediately goes into this story of Jesus cursing the fig tree. Um, So this is in verse 12. It talks about the following day that he and his 12 then continued on. Um, And he's hungry. He sees a tree. He comes to it. He finds nothing but leaves um, and no figs at all. And so he curses it. May no one ever eat fruit from you again, verse 14 says. Uh, really interesting. I I like how Mark broke the story up um, right. with something in between. He seems to tie Jesus cursing the fig tree together with the cleansing of the temple. Um, that tying together is really interesting to me for how the fig tree the cursing of it because there was nothing, then enters or into Jerusalem and goes to the temple and starts having a row, um, flipping tables and causing a ruckus. Um, I don't know. Again, I feel like I'm reading it going, nothing really jumped out like revelation to me as I'm reading it, but Mm -hmm. there was a lot of questions a lot of questions about Mark, why he's writing it this way, why he's put it together in this fashion, but also just about Jesus and going in specifically, what was the thing that means that caused this cleansing of the temple? Why are these people, uh, how, how have they created the temple to be a den of robbers? I think, at least for me, I'm reading it and going, oh, here's some stuff I'd have to go study more. So if I came to this in my devotions, I'd be writing down some questions to go take a look at. I'd get on Google. I'd find a good commentary. I'd find some good 
um, writing on it and go, okay, so what exactly is Jesus condemning here? Um, what exactly is he trying to make a point of? Uh, those sorts of things. Um, I think, okay, so this is this whole passage for this episode is, uh, I think it's actually going to be helpful for discussing how to read the Bible. Because, like we're saying, there's not a lot of things jumping out at it that really um, obviously hit... There's a lot of questions and a not a lot of things you could cross-stitch and put on your wall. So <laughs> so it's a bit of a... I can cross-stitch anything, Jordan. <laughs> well, you, you could cross-stitch whatever you want from this, but I'm not sure what it's going to mean to you. Uh, yeah, so unlike like you're saying, until you then start digging around and start studying and going and looking into your questions and getting some answers and finding out what is Jesus doing? Why is he doing it that way? So why did he say, uh, find me a cult that no one's ever sat on? Or why is this happening the way it is? Obviously there's a tie back to Zechariah, but Mark doesn't actually point that out. Did he mean for people to still see it that way? Um, what does it mean for the way the disciples are reacting to Jesus coming into the temple or sorry, coming into Jerusalem, and then why does what's the deal with the fig tree? What does that mean? Why does Mark break up the story for the fig tree and then put Jesus cleansing the temple in it? I think that's, um, I think that one is pretty helpful to to give us a clue that what what Jesus does with the fig tree has something to say about Jesus cleansing the temple, or maybe Jesus cleansing the temple explains what um, he's doing at the fig tree. Like they're, they're, Mark didn't just put it in the middle of the fig tree story for no reason. I think he's, again, wanting us to compare and contrast those two stories and see what they have to say about each other. Um, but again, yeah, just a bunch of questions. I think there's some good parts um, or, or some parts in the last few verses that are going to be, um, they're very, you know, uh, bite-sized, um, what do they call it in media where you're doing an interview and you just want some little clips? Sound bites? Sound bites, yeah, thank you. Bite-sized sound. Uh, yeah, there's these sound bites that he gives us at the end which are really, w could be easy to then focus on, but let's consider that this is like, okay, we just sat down for our morning devotions and we open up this passage and we have all these questions and it's all kind of weird and we're not really sure what to do with all of it. And we don't have time to go study. And which is really applicable because for this podcast, we're making a point of not studying. Yeah. So Rob, what do you start walking away from? Or how do you start interacting or responding or journaling out of this passage? Even though there's so many questions and unclear um, things going on. I think at the end of the day, I this is just my own practice. I usually do two things. Um, I start by saying, Lord, am I missing something? So just in prayer, asking, is there something he wants to highlight? Or is there something that I'm just glossing over? Because whatever, my, I'm, ha I'm having a bad day. I'm overtired, whatever it might be. And so you can miss things for all sorts of reasons. Some of them are good and some of them not so good. But... 
uh, that's where I start is, Lord, is there anything here I'm missing that I'm supposed to pick up on? And I'd probably do like a really quick read of it again, Mm kind of with that in mind. The second thing I would do after that is um, I'd actually just leave it. I'd, Mm. I'd get up and I'd go and I'd ask the Lord to reveal anything he'd want to reveal to me, whether it's through the day or anything else. But I don't necessarily have to get something out of it mm-hmm. for it to be good for me, for it to be right. And I think sometimes these stories will only make sense six months from now when we're going through something and we go, oh, remember the fig tree? Okay, now I get it. But it's not actually, there's a forming and a... Um, I don't know. It's it's like the, a potter with clay that's happening. Mm-hmm. Not every movement is something you can see in the final product. Not every movement is something that's a big, massive change. Sometimes it's just small little details that you don't really notice, but it helps with the structure of the uh, vessel. And so at the end of the day, I ask the Lord, is there anything? If there isn't, then I just say, okay, Lord, I receive it for what it is. It's still your word. And I just ask you, bring it to mind if there's anything you want to teach me in the future about it. And I leave it. I leave it that. I leave it where it is. Um, just because I, I don't think it always has to sh- change me noticeably for it to have an effect on me. Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um way more often than not, you're going to read the Bible and walk away without very many profound... It's it's not going to be profound every morning um, in the sense that your mind's not going to be blown or um, you're going to have to... The Bible's not going to cause a paradigm shift for you every day yeah. In because if it's doing... If it's majorly correcting your worldview every day, um, you, you've got a pretty messed up worldview. <laughs> like if you have to do an eighty, de- one hundred and eighty degree turn every day, yeah. Uh, like you, to some degree, you're spinning in circles. Yeah. That said, I think even more to some degree, you're literally spinning in circles. Is what you just said. Yeah. You do one hundred and eighty degrees every day. Every two days, you're just turned around where you're going before. Yeah. That's supposed to be a joke. You're looking at me seriously, oh, and I'm thought, just going to. <laughs> I you're literally spinning in circles. I was waiting to see where you're it. going with it. <laughs> it was nothing profound. It was a joke, and it failed. Uh, Let's move on. It's okay. You can edit it out. Um, but it's, yeah, you're, you're not going to have your mind blown every day by Scripture, Um to the, to the degree that you do, you know, on the day you got saved where you read something or someone told you the good news and you went, I have I've been doing this all wrong. Yeah. And yet, uh, you are called to do, make 180-degree turns every time you read the Bible, but not in, like, your entire the whole of your life. It's not that the whole of your life is yeah. turning around, yeah. but in these smaller areas where you go, oh, I was off on this one thing, and now I have to turn around. 180 degrees, but it's not your whole life you're turning around every morning. Yeah. Um, I think that this would be a paradigm shift that would be good for our culture, mm -hmm. which is maybe you won't 
get your world rocked every time you go to the Bible. Yeah. Every time you come to worship, every time you mm-hmm. interact with the Lord, mm-hmm. maybe his purpose is not to completely turn you upside down every mm-hmm. time. Maybe he likes just having a relationship with you. Yeah. And sometimes that means sitting in quiet together. Yeah. Can I say something? <laughs> Can I say the opposite of what I just said? Now? <laughs> You can. And I mean both things. <laughs> Let me see if this is just going to make things more muddy. Uh, in another sense, when I read the Bible um, every morning, I'm not looking for it to, like I said, change my entire life around. Except, but I am actually. Because when I get up in the morning, and I try and, I, my practice is I try and read my Bible um is quick to the first thing I do in the morning. Sometimes I need to go get coffee and breakfast, but I try to make it the first thing I do because I know that myself, I am so, uh, the direction that I want to head in with my life is the wrong direction. Yeah. And I want to read the Bible every morning to let God turn me around 180 degrees my entire life. Right. So that it's headed in the right direction. Right. However, when I'm reading the Bible, often what I'm reading, I'm confused by, or I have questions that aren't going to be answered in the 20 minutes I'm reading, um, or, you know, nothing jumped out at me that went, oh, this is all clear now where everything was confusing before. But what it does when just the act of turning to the Bible first thing in the morning and turning to the word of God and saying, God, you speak you get to decide where my life is headed mm-hmm. is me turning my entire life around totally every morning. Yeah. And whether I remember anything I read after I close my Bible or not, yeah. or think about it later in the day, it becomes a practice of submitting my entire life, my entire story to the bigger story and to yeah. God's story and saying, I want my story to become a part of what your story is and letting his story shape and mold and guide my life. But in shaping it, I guess what I was trying to say before is it, it's not always, if you think of it like a sculpture, you're not always taking off these huge chunks in shaping yeah. a big block of marble into yeah. a sculpture. You take a few big blocks off. Yeah. And sometimes that happens when you're reading the Bible. You get this big block <laughs> knocked off of you. Yeah. But then sometimes it's just these little cuts and scrapes and yeah. shavings as he's shaping you. And you hardly even notice that he's doing it. Yeah. But he's shaping you through the little cuts as yeah. much as the big ones. And you're really talking about spiritual disciplines and over time, waking up in the morning, reading for 20 minutes, isn't a complete 180 because right. your life is more consistently being directed by him as you develop those spiritual disciplines. And so waking up in the morning then becomes less of a 180 and more of a maybe 10 degrees or mm-hmm. maybe 60 degrees or whatever. And you go, oh, I need to reorient here. Yeah. I need to make sure I'm headed into my day in the right direction. Um, so I think I totally get that. And I don't think you just made it more confusing. I think it okay, used the same <laughs> analogy to describe two opposite things, but it worked. You win. Oh, good. <laughs> that was a little risky. Oh, that's uh, good. Okay, we have gotten way off, I think, for a good reason. 
and hopefully that was helpful. But we've gone way off the text. I let me ask this. I'll I'll ask the question. You can think about it while I answer my own question. <laughs> if so, if we, I guess this is the question we started out with. If you were to just read this in your twenty minutes in the morning, and you don't have time to study or get your your questions answered, what are you walking away with it? Um, how, how are you? So you said you might not. Um, you might just go, Lord, show me, and and hopefully things come up later, six months later, it gets clearer. Um, but is there anything that kind of sticks to you that makes you respond differently? So for me, um, at the end of the little triumphal entry piece in verse 10, or verse 9 and 10, I look at the... Um, so I don't understand why Jesus is being so specific and how he knew there was going to be a cult there or what the the crowds are doing with the leafy branches and everything. I don't get the full extent of that. But I hear them shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And I see that and I think, whatever else, I think they were on the right track to do that yeah. and to treat yeah. and to say those things. And I ask myself, where is my heart right now? Am I is this the most important thing to me that the kingdom of uh, David or the Messiah is coming mm-hmm. and, and has come as my heart worshipful this morning or, or right now? So I head in that direction with that question. Like it just prompts those things to me. And then if I go to where Jesus is cleansing the temple, he asks them, is it not written that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. And then I think about uh, the current representation of God's house being the church. Yeah. And I, I go, I think it's got like the call to be a house of prayer for all the nations is certainly still applicable. Hmm. And, how do I think of the church? Do I think of it like that? Mm-hmm. Is there some, have I made it something that it's not supposed to be? Right. And I start asking those questions of myself and my heart and wondering. Yeah, those are, those are good. I mean, now I have both of those things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't before you said that. The one thing I would say for me that jumped out, um, and it again, it wasn't like, oh, I need to really figure this out. It was more of a, I should probably keep this in mind. Mm -hmm. It's right at the very end. And it's the last few verses. And it's talking about how um, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. That one just... I think it just makes me pause every time I read it and I realize, okay, he's tying together my ability to forgive others to me receiving forgiveness. That's scary. Yeah. And I don't ever want to forget that or let go of that. So like I said, it wasn't the first thing that jumped out. I probably could have walked away without giving it too much thought, but it did make me pause and in my own heart, just as we read it before we started, it did make me go, oh, Lord, I hope I'm forgiving today. I hope there aren't people that I'm just holding back forgiveness from. Mm-hmm. Um, so that one always makes me pause, and it did again today. Yeah. 
Absolutely. That that whole verse is um, a helpful, I guess, expansion <clears throat> of that line in the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. Which Mark doesn't have the Lord's Prayer in his gospel. No. But certainly that that line is um, the closest to as close as it comes to the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, yeah. That's good. Anything else before we tie this together? In under 30 minutes, by Whoa. the way. No, I think, um, like I said, those last few verses really, they really do, they're the bite size, no, sound bites <laughs> that Jesus leaves <laughs> us with. He's and, hungry, ladies and, and gentlemen. Again, <laughs> they are, uh, each line is really helpful to, to kind of do those I guess the examination questions that I was just referring to of going. Yeah. Uh, so Jesus answers Peter and says, have faith in God. And then talks about, gives the, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea thing. Um, that's like the sort of belief he's talking about. I have to ask myself if I have that in my heart, especially when I'm asking Jesus to do things. Yeah. Uh, um, asking the father to do things. And when I'm asking for forgiveness, I'm, Am I forgiving others? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, guys, that's all we got for today. Uh, We'll be back with chapter 11, verses 27, all the way through to verse 44 of chapter 12. Hopefully this has been an encouragement to you and an encouragement in your devotions, which is really what we're shooting for in this, that you could come to the scriptures and realize that there is something to receive um, every day, every time you come to them. And whether it's big or small, like Jordan said earlier, whether it's um, a big chunk cut off or a little scrape uh, on the marble, the Lord is at work through his word at all times. So bless you, and we'll see you next time.